0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Well, how many of you have got a nap this afternoon? All right, we have five or six. Not bad, not bad, you know. My dad made us take a nap on Sunday afternoon. I think that was so he could take a nap. (laughs) So it's just in my system. But uh, those of you that did not get a nap, I hope you won't be tempted to take one now. (laughs) Well, it's good to be in California. We uh, left Michigan on January the 5th. Uh, With our fifth wheel trailer, thankfully it wasn't snowing that day, it was a negative four degrees. It was brutal. (laughs) And uh, got into California and uh, been here ever since. We have a few more weeks here. And we praise the Lord for the privilege of serving the Lord here. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the scripture tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We dealt with some introductory truths this morning. Life again. What revival is. What it does. The extent of revival. And then in the Sunday morning service that when you access Jesus, there is a spiritual glow. There is a radiance. There is the reality, the fragrance of Jesus. All these different analogies here in the scripture that god gives and that is what revival looks like on the individual level it looks like jesus (laughs) now a lot of times we hear truth along these lines and yet there's kind of a yeah but how and often what's happening is we're not convinced i mean we know yeah there's got to be a victory out there but we're not convinced that that victory is available for us for you and so that's why Romans 6 says reckon or allow yourself to be convinced by the spirit of the provision. I want us to look tonight at provision because if you'll allow the spirit of God to convince you of what God has provided for you the moment you got saved, it can be life-changing. So let me read the text and we'll pray and let's all ask the spirit of God to be our teacher tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's some amazing statements there, are there not? In fact, for years as a preacher's kid, I wondered what in the world is that verse talking about? All things are become new? Well, I know some are. (laughs) All, what does that mean? The word new is used twice in this verse. I want to speak tonight on new realities. So let's pray. when you join me? Let's ask the Spirit of God to open our understanding. Blessed Holy Spirit, we need you as the Spirit of wisdom now to open the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, convince us thoroughly of the provision we have in Christ. And so I plead... The blood of Jesus through the victory of the cross to protect us from the attack of the evil one who hates this emphasis. He doesn't want us to know about it. And so Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above the enemy. And in your name, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder and trust you once again that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you tonight. Oh, Lord, may we see you tonight. May we meet with you. May we bow the knee. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was preaching a course on sanctification at a Bible college that is connected with Reformers Unanimous. Uh, that is a faith-based uh, addictions program in Rockford, Illinois. Perhaps you've heard of it. And uh, it really has the right basis. So it's, uh, it's a delight to go to teach in this college. What they have is they have an eight month program uh, for the addicts that come in. And then uh, where they can, they encourage people to stay and enter this, uh, uh, this Bible college program kind of as a continuing discipleship. And so it's an absolute delight to get to teach in that setting with people who know their need. It's just wonderful. It really is. So I'm teaching a course on sanctification, and uh, there was a couple in there, married couple, that uh, from an Indian reservation in uh, New York State. Had some addiction issues, had come to RU and had come through the program, were doing well now they were in the college. And uh, the wife had quite, a, quite a, a mind. She would ask just great questions. It's a delight as a teacher to have those kind of questions asked in a class. And so I'm, uh, I'm dealing you know, with Romans 6, 7, and 8, which would be uh, the details of what we're going to look at tonight in kind of a nutshell form. And uh, she had a quizzical look on her face. She was intrigued. You could tell something had really grabbed her attention. So I knew a great question was coming. (laughs) I called on her. And she looked at me, her head cocked. We were dealing with provision. She said, you mean we don't have to sin? I said, well, ma'am, if words have meaning and if language has integrity... The provision that God has given us once we got saved is actually that good. And she began to weep. Now, friends, what are we talking about? We're going to see tonight that the provision is that good. The problem is we don't always access it. So we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about sinless provision. What are we dealing with? Well, this is an amazing text. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ. In other words, right now in this room, every person here is either in Christ or you're out of Christ. There's no third category in this particular case. You're either in him or you're not in him. And if you have come to that understanding that sin is the problem, hell is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, and you have placed your dependence on Jesus alone to actually save you from sin and hell, among many other great salvation truths. At that moment, the Holy Spirit placed you into Christ. You're in him. Okay, so here it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, so it's talking about those who are in Jesus, he is a new creature, literally creation. We'll come back to that uh, phrase later on. Then it says, old things are passed away. Now, the verb tense that's used here is the fact of an action, that when you were placed into Jesus, old things passed away. Whatever it's talking about, it's a done deal. Then it says, behold, all things are become new. Here the verb tense switches slightly. It's still the fact of an action. It's an event. It's still tied to that moment when you were placed into Jesus. But here the verb tense indicates that there's ongoing ramifications right into the present. There's our new that stays new. You know, we have things in life that get old. And they got to be fixed, repaired, duct tape, whatever, you know. <laughs> and uh, finally you just throw them away and you get uh, something new. Well, here's a new That stays new. It's right in the grammar. Behold, all things are become new and they stay new. They stay fresh. They're ready. It's the provision that you and I need at that immediate moment when we're facing temptation, trial, or many things that Satan would use to buffet us and bring us down. And so the old creation has passed away. The new creation has come. And what this text is, what I want us to see tonight, is that God wants us to take... The new realities so that we experience the provision that God gave us. In other words, give way to what is new. Give way to the new realities. Take those new realities so that when you act, you experience the provision of Jesus. Now, what are we talking about? Well, tonight, let me divide this into three new realities. We'll spend the majority of our time on the first, but then we'll deal with the second and third briefly. But first of all, the real you. (laughs) Friend, when you got saved, you got a new you. And do you know that that new you is actually the real you? You talk about a new reality, this is absolutely stunning when you allow the Spirit of God to sink this in. Now, again, in those last two phrases, old things are passed away. Whatever that's talking about, the words and the verb tense indicate it's done. It's not partial, it's complete. So whatever it's talking about, these old things have passed away. Then it says, behold, all things are become new. Again, that was the phrase that puzzled me for years. If it had said some things have become new, like we're on our way to heaven and occasionally you have a good day, (laughs) it's all the bad days, (laughs) you know, that would have made sense to me. But all things have become new. That didn't make sense to me. So we do need to ask ourselves the question, what is all new? Because whatever this is talking about, it's all new. It's not part new, it's all new. It's not just partial and then later on more. No, it's all new. Well, the human constitution is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Our body houses our soul, our soul houses our spirit, we might say. So let's talk about the human constitution and find out which part is all new. Let's start with the body. Is your body all new? <laughs> you know, when you get saved, you still don't have a new body. Now, one day we will. It's called glorification. That day's coming. Man, hallelujah. I'm beginning to feel a few aches and pains and all that stuff. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the memory's slipping and all that kind of stuff. I hate that. But uh, the body's not all new. I remember when I was in my 30s, a couple of guys that were older than me, that were friends of mine saying, oh, John, when you hit 40, there's something about it. You just start going downhill. So I'm thinking, man, that's, you know, that wasn't very encouraging. So I was coming up on my 40th birthday, and and I thought, well, I don't know, man. I don't want to go on this downhill thing. And I had my birthday, and I thought, I still feel pretty good. (laughs) Not too bad, you know. And a few weeks later, I'm not too bad. A few months later, I'm halfway through the year. I thought, wow, I'm not going downhill. Nothing's changed. I made it through the whole year. I thought, ah, nothing's changed. Those guys don't know what they're talking about. 41, still feeling great. 42, wow, this is super. 43, I started to go. (laughs) And I've been slipping ever since. And that's over a decade ago. The body is not all new. It will be someday, but that's future. And what this is talking about is new right now. This was made all new the moment you got saved. So it's not body. Let's go to soul. Your soul is your mind, your affections, and your will. Let's start with your mind. Do you ever think wrong? God help us. There are times when we get all whacked out and messed up and down in the ditch in our minds. You know what? That's not all new. How about the affections? Sometimes we use the word emotions. Let me word it to you this way. Do you ever get in a bad mood? I've said at the times and all these heads look at a certain person in the audience. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get in a bad mood. That's not all new. Well, let's... Lord the will, another part of your soul, your volition, your chooser. Do you ever make wrong choices? Uh, Man, there are times when we just flat blow it and make just a rotten choice. You know what? That's not all new. So whatever this text is talking about, not only is it not talking about your body, it is not talking about your soul because neither one of those are all new. Are you with me? Okay, so there's only one part of you left that this could be talking about. It's your human spirit. And I want us to take a moment to contrast here the old and the new because this is at the heart of what God has given us in this matter of, of provision, truth. Truth. You see, prior to salvation, if you can think of those concentric circles of body, and then soul, and then spirit. uh, So your spirit, the unregenerated human spirit prior to salvation. That's our smallest little circle there. That part of us is labeled in Romans 6 as the old man. So the old man's not your dad. (laughs) I hope you don't use that terminology. Uh, The old man is your unregenerated human spirit. We know that because Romans 6.6 says, knowing this, that our old man is or has been crucified with Christ. Okay, crucifixion is about death. And so you have to ask, what part of you died? Well, physical death is when your soul separates from your body. That has not happened. So again, the only thing that that could be talking about is your spirit. The spirit is labeled in Romans 6.6 as the old man. So again, thinking of concentric circles, body, soul, spirit, that smallest circle is the old man, then draw another circle that kind of overlaps it and is within your soul body levels. I'm going to label that little circle, the old master. You see, prior to salvation, we're in a relationship and it's a rotten one. Uh, It's the old man, our unregenerated human spirit with the old master of indwelling sin. Romans 7, two times, says sin which dwelleth in me. Now think with me. It's not sins, actions, as you find in Romans 1 through 5, but Romans 6 through 8 talks about sin singular, which is personified in Romans 6 as someone who is served. So your human spirit is personified by the wording old man, and then there is this entity, sin singular, which dwells in us, what I call indwelling sin. It is that old master because it is someone who has served, and we are in a relationship with that old master prior to salvation. We are chained. We are bonded. We are uh, shackled to this taskmaster of indwelling sin. And you know, that taints everything an unsafe person does. That's why the plowing of the wicked is sin. The best efforts of unsaved people are done in a union or relationship with that old master of indwelling sin, which taints it all, defiles it, shows that at best it's self-dependence. It can only produce self-righteousness, which God calls a filthy rag. In Isaiah 64, that falls short of his glory. Romans chapter 3, everything an unsafe person does. They really don't have good works. They have dead works. Wow. And the only way out of that relationship is for one of those partners to die. Now, we can't do this on our own. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did this for us. This is key to our little phrase here, therefore, if any man be in Christ. Do you know in Romans 6.10... We have a phrase that to me is one of the most wonderful phrases in the New Testament. It says he, referring to Jesus, died unto sin once. Now listen carefully. That's not the same as Christ dying for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15. That's glorious salvation truth. This is more. It says that Christ died unto sin. Now, that presupposes there had to be a moment in the life of Jesus in his ministry on earth as the Son of Man when he had come into union with our sin. Of course, this is the cross. Here's crucifixion day. You remember that the scripture tells us from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. Why? Jesus cried out toward the end of that three-hour period, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those are strong words. Something big was happening. Why did he say that? It's because in those hours, Jesus as the son of man was separated from the father. The perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. Separate. You know, the essence of death is separation. Remember? Physical death is when the soul separates from the body. So here's Jesus being separated from the Father because he was in union with us, with our sins. In fact, the sins of the entire human race from the first Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden, to the last human being who will ever live, all of that sin was put on Jesus. And that is why Jesus is not called the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. Then he's the second man who begins a new race, as we're going to see here. But the point is, on the cross, think of what happened. No wonder Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to tell you something, friends. He was not running from the cross, He came to save sinners. It was the way of the cross. It was that for the very first time in all of eternity, God the Son, functioning as as the Son of Man, was going to be separated from God the Father because he was going to come into an actual contact with the dirt, stink, and filth of the entire race from first to last. You talk about weight. But then, before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished, and he died. Unto sin once. Now, here's the beauty. When you trusted Jesus as your Savior, among many other great salvation truths, as we saw a moment ago, you were placed by the Holy Spirit into Christ. And the moment you got placed into Jesus, you got placed into his history. Which means not only do you get a new future, you got a new past. Let it sink in. When you were placed into Jesus, you were placed into his history. Therefore, you were placed into his death. That's why the scripture can say, I am crucified with Christ. You got placed into Jesus. And here's the point. And those concentric circles, here's body and soul and spirit. Here's your old man and this relationship with that old master. And you can't get out of it on your own. You're shackled. You're chained. But I'm going to tell you, the cross comes in like a giant supernatural knife. And the moment you believed on Jesus, you're placed into him. You're placed into his history. You're placed into his death. And that, that cross comes in like, like a knife and separates you. That's the essence of death. Separates you. Unshackles you from that old master. You got set free. I am gonna tell you something, friends. That old master is no longer your master. Now, the old master still resides in your soul and body level. That's why they're not all new. But your spirit got severed, separated. You died with Christ unto that old master of indwelling sin. And though he may come back and assert his power... He has no more authority. You are not joined to him because, here's the flip side of this, not only were you placed into Christ's death, you were placed into his resurrection. So the old man dies with Christ and is raised the new man. Here in our text called new creature, new creation, which means, now listen carefully to me, the old man is gone forever. Now think. You cannot have an unregenerated human spirit and a regenerated human spirit in the same body. So the old man, your human spirit, dies with Christ and is raised with Christ the new man. There's a regenerated spirit. Now, the old master, has he hangs around. That's why we still have trouble. But that old man of the unregenerated spirit, he's gone. He's raised with Christ the new man. Now let this sink in. That's what's here called this new creation it is described this part of us is described in first john 3 9 as god's seed literally the sperma of god friends when you were born again something of god's own nature was implanted into you And god's nature is holy and it is righteous and it is loving and it is good, and so much more. And that nature got implanted into you. That is your regenerated spirit. It's God's seed. And that's why Ephesians 4.24 says, The new man, which after God, God's seed, is created, new creation, in righteousness and true holiness. Do you know that your human spirit is all new? Your human spirit is completely saved. It has to be. It's God's nature. Now, that's the part of you that can grow spiritually. Just like an acorn can be perfect as an acorn, but then can grow into an oak tree. When God implanted his nature into you, there's your regenerated human spirit. That's where spiritual growth takes place. It's not the Holy Spirit growing. It's... God's seed implanted into you. This is why Jesus is called the second man. He's begun this new race. His seed is implanted into you. And that seed is righteous and holy. It is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. And that's why 1 John 3, 9, you can look it up, says he, that part of you, that new man, cannot sin. That's what it says in 1 John 3, 9. Now, we can ignore all this, and yeah, we can sin. But the real you can't. The real you is righteous. The real you is holy, even on your worst day when you totally ignored it. But that's the real you. God's in you. Let it sink in, righteous and holy. Now, here's what we often do with this. We say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Positionally, that's true, but really it's not. Now, wait a second. There is such a thing as positional truth, and that's a wonderful thing, and by faith we can access position into practice, but this is more than positional truth. It's provisional. You're not just declared righteous. There's a part of you that actually is righteous. Let me prove it to you from the text. Look down at verse 21. It says, For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. Okay, so there's Jesus on the cross coming into contact with our sin he became sin for us and let me ask you was that merely positional legal theoretical or was it actual is actual okay so let's read on that we might be what's the next word made not just declared thank God for declared righteousness that's justification God declares us righteous even though the soul and body haven't caught up yet But this is saying that there's a part of us that's made righteous. Friends, which means it's not just positionally righteous, legally righteous, and theoretically righteous. That part of us is righteous. Why? It's God's nature. Do you know there is a part of you that's God's seed in you? Amazing that God would put that into our sin-cursed bodies. But that's why we had to get severed from that old master of indwelling sin. There had to be a part of you made holy so the Holy Spirit can move in. That's what we're going to see in the next point. But this is provision. And it is amazing provision. When the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Understand, that's not talking about your spirit. Yes, on the soul level, we can get deceived. It happens to us often. and We blow it. But I'm going to tell you something. Your human spirit, once you got saved, is not desperately wicked. It is radically righteous. It's God's seed. It's God's nature. That is a sinless provision. Has to be. It's the nature of God. Now I didn't say sinless perfection, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I realize that obviously we can ignore the provision. We don't always access what God has provided. There are times when we make wrong choices, as we've talked about. We cave into our flesh, we pander to our flesh, we indulge our flesh, uh, and the works of the flesh are manifest, and when we do, we look like what we're not. But even in those worst days, from God's viewpoint, you're righteous. That's why He calls you a saint 63 times in the short New Testament. A holy one. Why? Because His holy seed was implanted into you. And do you know, that is not a cause to go out and sin, it's a cause to go on to victory. Now, what Satan does is he comes in with lies. About you so that you don't access your provision that's why I say when you allow the Spirit of God to convince us of this Satan lies about you about the real you so let's take a, a look at some of those lies and compare them to the truth about you one of Satan's lies is to get you to say you know I'm a loser yeah, praise God, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but you know, I'm just a dud. You know, other people get victory, you know, victory and they're useful in God's cause and, and all of that, but you know, I'm a failure. Ever felt that way? Sometimes Satan pummels us with these thoughts. You're a loser, you're a failure, you're a dud. You're a rebel. I want you to think with me. Sometimes parents and leadership figures in institutions and schools unwittingly side with the devil against young people and college kids saying, ah, you're just a rebel. You get blacklisted. And, you know, you're just going to learn the hard way, and that's often what they do. But do you know all of that is a lie now don't get me wrong i understand that as a child of god we can ignore our provision and we can rebel but at our core we're not rebels at your core it's god's nature in you at your core you are not a loser you're a winner why because jesus won for you and put his nature in you wow what a radical different way to think you see Sometimes we think, think, you know, well, I'm just a loser. I'll never measure up. That kind of atmosphere that gets us to think that we'll never measure up is usually focused on performance, and that list usually grows, and, oh, I'll never measure up. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus measured up for us. See, the lies try to get us to think that we are forever defined identity by the shame and the guilt that we feel from that worst day. Now, please listen to me. Not just things that we've done when we blew it in bad moments. Sometimes things that were done to you. And in our world of sexual abuse, this is massive. And Satan throws these lies, trying to get people to think, uh, these, these people that are saved, trying to get them to think that their forever-defined identity by the shame and the guilt that they feel from that worst day. Either something they did or something that was done to them. And friends, that is not true. That is not how God defines you. That's how, not how God identifies you. Because in Christ, God identifies you as righteous. And that's what Romans 6 is talking about. That's what needs to be reckoned. <laughs> and so much more. But that's core to it all. You see, sometimes people think, well, I'm positionally righteous, but not actually. No, no. Down deep, the real you is actually righteous. Let it sink in. Sometimes people think, well, I'll never get better this side of heaven. And they get preoccupied with their next failure. Oh, man, I wonder how long it's going to be before I go down again. Well, you're already on your way. (laughs) I've been there. I know what that is like. It's a total wrong way of thinking. When the reality is, in Christ, you are righteous and you have the privilege of maturing into what you already are. And when you let that sink in, instead of getting preoccupied with your next failure, you can get excited about the next victory in Jesus. What a radical difference! You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm a failure, so I might as well just down wallow in it, wallow in it, and you might as well enjoy it. No, 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 no. That's all a deception. In Christ, you're righteous, and so you might as well enjoy it. See, Satan tries to get us to think like this. Well, I'm just a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. Doesn't that sound like what we say? Oh, wait a second if you're saved you were a sinner you are a saint who can still sin but you're a saint <laughs> and so there's that difference of perspective that's crucial for us to understand you see the lie is to get you and I to think that we are fundamentally flawed when the truth is if you're saved you have been fundam- fundamentally fixed I said that at a congregation in Maryland, and a young man, mid-twenties, burst into tears. After the service, he bear-hugged me. It's a good thing he was smaller than me. He would broke my back. He grew up in that church, was saved as a kid, went to the Christian school, rebelled, went into the world for ten years of total debauchery. Six months prior to the meeting, he had come back to God, was back in church, but was being pummeled by Satan's lies. Look at you. Look how you walked away from everything. Look at the wrong choices you made. You know, there's no more hope for you. You can't be used to God. You can't get right with God. There's no way. And so he thought he was fundamentally flawed. And when he heard he was fundamentally fixed, he burst into tears. Now, friends, Satan's lies have to be put to death. But the problem is they're hard to put to death because they are our excuses for our failures. But they're lies. And if you ever want to experience the victory of the provision, you need to reject and put to death or kill the lies. Uh, Back, oh, I guess it was 2009, the Lord allowed us to uh, purchase a house in the foreclosure market of southern Michigan. Uh, that's when uh, Michigan was 48 in the 50 states in real estate it had bottomed out because of the auto industry and so forth and so houses were going for foreclosure everywhere in fact at that time period you could buy a house in Detroit for a buck (laughs) you wouldn't want it but uh, there were houses going for a dollar in Detroit Michigan well this was more than a buck and it's not in Detroit it's out in the country Uh, and we're hardly there anyway but the Lord led in all this and so forth well I grew up in Chicago so I you know I'm a city boy I don't know how to you know I don't know about living on a country road and all this kind of country stuff and whatever and you know uh, Uh, when we first moved into the house, we were there for just a couple of weeks before we hit the road again, and we discovered that there were these squirrels who were living with us. (laughs) And uh, so we're battling, well, we're still battling squirrels in that house. Uh, And, you know, we had bugs out there. Well, you know, in Chicago, we didn't have bugs. They didn't live in the pollution, so that was all new. And uh, so, you know, it it was different to get used to country life. And then I've discovered these things called carpenter bees. Do you have carpenter bees in California? They look like a bumblebee, but I'm going to tell you, these guys got power saws, unbelievable tools. <laughs> and they, they bore these little holes that look like a perfectly circular bullet hole into softer wood, like cedar wood. Well, my house, the eaves are cedar wood, and it look like World War II. I mean, there's holes everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, I'm the city boy. I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I went out and got some, you know, bee spray. <laughs> so I'm spraying these holes. And they started falling out, 30 in one little section. I'm thinking, man. Is there any wood left up there <laughs> and uh, so they're falling to the ground and they were still writhing around now, I didn't know it but the poison was gonna take care of them but I, I didn't know that yet and they were still moving and I didn't like that <laughs> I wanted them dead so I happened to be standing there with this straw broom Have you ever tried to kill a carpenter bee with a straw broom it's like trying to squish a rubber a rubber peanut <laughs> it doesn't work well some of these lies are like those carpenter beasts. They are hard to kill. And what happens is, if you don't kill them, and many of God's people don't, you end up playing a cruel joke on yourself. Because if you don't kill the lies, then you view yourself as a failure. You view yourself as a dud. You view yourself with this identity that I'm forever tainted because of such and such that happened to me. Such and such I did or was done to me, whatever, whatever. And you have all of this wrong view. And so you view yourself as a failure. And yet, you know, the Christian life was supposed to be victorious. And so you come to church and you put on your mask. And we are masters at putting on the mask. And so down deep, we view ourselves as a failure. But we come to church, we put on our mask and pretend to be righteous, knowing down deep we're really not, only to discover that down deep we really are. See, what a cruel joke Satan plays. I'm going to tell you something. I've met people all across the United States, teenagers, and for that matter, adults, who have so sought bought into Satan's lies. So been pummeled, so viewed themselves as just the failure and the rebel and the dud that they they, they they just can't get past that. And so their foundation for faith is ruined. They don't understand the provision. They're not reckoning and they can't get to real faith because they're not convinced there's an actual provision there. They don't understand that at their core, they're already righteous and have the privilege of maturing into what they already are. And so they view themselves as a dud when the fact is when they got saved, the old dud is gone. And the new dud's not a dud, he's a dude. Well, anyway. And friends, when you depend on that new creation provision, I'm going to tell you, you're healthier, even physically, especially in your soul. You're free to love. Wow. Freer from sin, therefore free to love. In other words, instead of being all concerned about your sanctification, you can now get your vision out there and let the love of Jesus flow and touch people. What a difference So the real you, that brings us to the second. I told you we would spend less time on the last two points, so stay with me here. The second reality is the real leader. We've alluded to it already. but when you got saved, you got a new leader, and the new leader is the real leader. Prior to salvation. The old master was that old master of indwelling sin, but you got severed from him the moment you were placed into Christ. As we noted, you were placed into his history, therefore his death and resurrection. So you got severed. You got unshackled, set free from that old master. You're raised with Christ the new man, and then the spirit of Jesus moved in. You got a new leader. You were raised with Christ the new man so that you might be, according to Romans 7, four. married, joined, new relationship to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. Now, friends, hallelujah. Do you know when you were joined to the old master, you were chained to him. It was forced labor, but you got set free from him. But here's what's amazing. The new master, the spirit of Jesus who moves in and joins our spirit, he doesn't force us. He doesn't want a robotic, mechanical situation. He wants a love relationship where we trust him. Now, friends, he even lets us obey the old master who's not even our master. But it's no longer forced labor, it's voluntary service after you're saved. But the point is, you got set free from that old master. The new master moved in. It's the spirit of Jesus, the indwelling Christ. You see, that old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed. And the new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That's amazing. Just like husband and wife, one flesh, regenerated spirit, new man, and Holy Spirit, new master. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You talk about a sinless provision. It has to be so. His name is Jesus. And he moved in in the person of his spirit. And you're fused to Jesus. That's the provision. Now it gets even more exciting. It's not just his nature in you. It's his spirit to lead and to empower through that regenerated spirit and to now rule over your soul and body. And friends, every time you exercise faith in the words of God, the power of the spirit lifts up the spirit part of you to rule over soul and body. That's why the word of God, which is quick or living and powerful, divides asunder between soul and spirit. As the old writers put it, when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit fell into the soul. (laughs) But when you get saved, all that we're talking about takes place. And now when you begin to walk by faith, the spirit lifts up your your regenerated spirit. Now to rule over your soul and body, you have an amazing leader. You have an amazing energizer. You see, the Holy Spirit is your personal guide. And he is is the, the enabler, the energizer to empower you to obey everything that he leads you to. We have batteries called Duracells, but they don't last forever. But I'm going to tell you, the eternal cell of Jesus is the true Duracell, the eternal life himself. And he moves in to energize us to obey his leadership. So let's take a second then to contrast Satan's lies about the new leader. Satan's lies about God versus the truth about the new leader, the truth about God. You know, often we think this. Have you ever thought this? Well, we may not say it this way, but it happens often. We think God cannot satisfy me as much as this sin. And we may not come out and say that, but every time you and I knowingly choose sin, that's what we're thinking. That's what we're saying. God's not as good as this. The truth is, that's a lie, only Jesus satisfies. Now, that's not just pious words. You know this. You know that there's those times when the deceitfulness of sin is there and Satan's working through your uh, flesh to, to, to appeal to the world and, and, uh, and you buy into that and you think it's going to be good and all of a sudden you find yourself all bound up. Well, that's not satisfying. Nobody likes to be in prison. But how about those times when you actually did yield to the Spirit and you were free to do right by the supernatural life of Jesus animating you? I'm going to tell you something, that's satisfying. Another one of Satan's lies, and this is a big one, is to get us to think about God, that God loves us less when we sin and loves us more when we perform well that's a lie now performance based thinking is everywhere it's not just in works religions even people who come to faith in Jesus as Savior as I mentioned this morning we can revert back to flash try to live the Christian life and we get performance based if you do these things ah, you're spiritual if you don't do these you're not spiritual wait a second Unsaved moralists can do things. Spirituality is not imitating a list. Spirituality is being rightly related to the spirit. And yes, you'll do right when that's the case. But the point is it's the relationship with the spirit of Jesus. And so what happens is when we think that God loves us less when we sin and more when we don't, we're performance-based. Even if we reject that on the verbal level, we are down deep. If you think God loves you less when you blow it, And more when you happen to have two or three days that seem pretty good, you're performance-based. You're not walking by faith. The truth is, it's a lie. Because God loves us unconditionally. Which means, he loves us as much on our worst day As on our best. Now, friends, obviously, when we sin, we grieve the Spirit. But it's only somebody who loves you who can be grieved. But he loves us as much on our worst day as on our best. I'm going to tell you sin, friend, that doesn't repel you from Christ. That draws you to him. That's unconditional love. Something hard to find in our world, and it only comes through Jesus. And one other lie, there's many, but that I'll mention tonight on the new leader. Sometimes we view God as kind of an ogre with a sledgehammer waiting to wallop us if we blow it. See, all these lies tie together. We view God on the other side of our stack of sins. Kind of like the picture of when you got called into the principal's office. That happened to anybody in here? Now, don't look so pious. I've been in the principal's office a few times <laughs> in my journey of things. Uh, and, you know, now not every principal is this way. But some are. <laughs> Where you get this idea of this ogre kind of feel. Now, very few. Well, anyway, forget that. But the idea of the picture here is we view God as like this principal who's mad at us. He's on the other side of the desk. There on the desk is all of our demerit slips, and there's a huge stack. Look at this. <laughs> and our name's on every one of them. And we view God as disgusted with us. We hear him think, so we think, that he's over there with his arms folded saying, yeah, you're such a failure. You know, before you were saved, you at least had an excuse. Not anymore. Not anymore. We have this kind of ogre view of God. My friends, don't misunderstand me. I realize that our sin causes us to miss out on the blessings that God has for us. But God's never distant once you're saved. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. and He said, I will never leave you or forsake you, which means he is not on the other side of that desk. He's on our side of it with his arm around us seeking to draw us, to woo us back to him because the moment we're on us, the blood cleanses and the spirit begins to fill again. He has his arm around us. He's on our side of the desk and together we look at that stack of numeric slips and in gentle tones, he says, you know, that is quite a stack. (laughs) Don't you ever sleep? but he seeks to draw us to him because in him there's cleansing. In him there's freedom. In him there's revival. There's life again. You see, the lie is that God and I are separate when the truth is that you and God are joined. I'm going to tell you, when he moved in, he's the new leader, he's the new enabler. It's like, I love the stories in sports where you have a, a mediocre team that gets a new coach that takes him right to the top. I love those stories. I'm going to tell you something, friends. We got the coach. His name is Jesus. And not only is he the coach to give us the strategy and the plans and the plays, he gets inside of our uniform to enable us to carry out the very plays that he gives us. Do you see it? He's not just the leader. He's the enabler to enable us to follow to play out the plays. And I'm going to tell you, his strategy and his plays are perfect. If only we would listen. If only we would yield. You know, sometimes we say, I'm following your will, but we're depending on our own power, which means we're not following his will as much as we thought we are. Or other times we, we, uh, 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 we go to God for his power, but it's for what we want instead of what he wants. No, you got to get them together. And when you trust his power to obey his will, I'm going to tell you, that's when the Christian life gets supernatural. That brings us to the final reality, not only the real you and the real leader, but your real response. Your real response is the response of the real you, the new man, God's nature in you, to the real leader. <laughs> wow, that's your real response. Satan's lies can just be summed up into one big one. When we think that we want our sin, we've bought into Satan's lies. You know, one guy said to the pastor, trying to help him, some marriage issues and this and that. And the guy said, well, pastor, you just don't understand. He said, I want my sin. He bought into the lie. Because if you're saved, the real you doesn't want the sin. No. The real you, God's seed in you, wants Jesus every time. Have you ever had a day where you're discouraged? Maybe you've blown it, whatever. And you're just kind of, oh, man. And so you're out just kind of, Talking to the Lord, down and discouraged, and yet in those moments, from the deepest part of you comes bubbling up, I love you, Lord. Where did that come from? That's the real you. You see, temptation is not sin. Jesus said, pray that you enter not into temptation, indicating that temptation's not sin. It's only if you enter into it that it becomes sin. So what happens is, Satan throws the temptation out there in the world, and that old master, remember that guy that we used to be chained to, we got, but we got freed from, but he still resides in our soul and body level? According to Ephesians 2, uh, Satan works through that old master par, uh, uh, who, who's still in us, though we're not connected to him. He's not the real us. And we feel the pull toward the world or toward some sin, toward blowing up, toward getting angry, toward bitterness, toward filthiness, whatever. You ever felt the pull? Okay, that's not the real you. And temptation itself is not sin. Remember that? (laughs) Which means you have that moment where you can say, that's not me. I reject that. And I claim my provision in Jesus, and immediately that pull will dissipate. Just give it a try. Man, hallelujah. See, that's provision. See, the real you wants Jesus. The real you wants to do right. The real you adores Jesus. See, every time we ignore our provision and we buy into the lie that we want our sin and down we go that's an experience but I'm going to tell you it's a false experience it's contrary totally to the real you now it's an experience but it's a false experience it's based on a lie falsehood God wants us to experience truth experiences you reject the lies and you claim your provision in Jesus and you experience him I'm gonna tell you that gets exciting the real you worships Jesus loves Jesus the real you might even say amen. Just had to say that. <laughs> you know, the real you wants to forgive. The real you wants to be pure. The real you wants patience. Real patience. Not just gritting your teeth, but actually accessing the patience of Jesus. See, that's freedom. And the real you wants Jesus every time so it's time is it not for us to give way to the new realities The real you, the real leader, your real response. In other words, go past the noise of Satan's lies. Go past the noise of this wicked world. Go past the noise even of your own soul down deep to your spirit that is a new creature that is righteous and holy and loves Jesus. Go past all the other noise down to that reality and listen to your real response and take hold of it. In other words, the provision is there. Take it, just like somebody handing you A $100 bill, and you take it, and then you use it. Okay, take the provision so that when you act, it's not just you, it's used you, energized by the very life and power of Almighty God in you. And that's when you experience Jesus. God has given us an amazing illustration in the world of nature that helps us understand the difference and sometimes the discrepancy between between who we appear to be at times versus who we really are down deep consider the caterpillar you know if we were to bring a caterpillar to a biologist and say sir uh, would you analyze this check its DNA and uh, describe it for us he'd go and come back and say I've run the scientific test I've checked the DNA and he would say I know this little creature looks to you like a caterpillar but the DNA says that this creature is fully and completely a butterfly wow God has wired into programmed into this little creature that does not yet look like a butterfly a full-blown butterfly identity And <laughs> because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence then one day it will display the behavior and attributes of a butterfly. Why? Because God's little creatures sometimes are a little bit better about depending on God's provision and program than some of us. And you know, when the caterpillar still looks like a caterpillar, it's not going to help to berate it. and Say, hey, Joe Biologist just told me that you are fully and completely a butterfly. Man, are you a loser. Where's your wings, Man. <laughs> You're supposed to be a butterfly. You don't look like a butterfly. Man, you must be one of those duds. I've heard about you guys. Ah, you're a rebel. Oh, I better stay away from you. Hey, you got to at least fake it. Here, Velcro on these wings. <laughs> and that's how some attempt Christianity. Well, no, it's not a matter of sin management. It's a matter of metamorphosis. That's what happens as the caterpillar Caterpillar is transformed into the butterfly. Do you know the word that we saw this morning changed into his image is the Greek word metamorphosis? There it is! As we see it come together, oh, as you look unto Jesus, the author's faith, as you trust his power to obey his will, you from glory to glory, the spirit uh, imparts the life of Jesus and you are transformed, you are transfigured. There's metamorphosis, you're changed. You're maturing into who you already are. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a help to you, please feel free to share it on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.